The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwired.org.
Praise God. Good morning, church. Good to see everybody here. Full house. Great to see everybody. Franklin. Yes, Mike. Well, uh, you know, I've heard you talk several times about whenever you and Marie have a chance to get out, get out and get away a little yes. bit. Uh-huh. You like to go to the mountains, right? We love to go to the mountains, yes. Yeah, well, yes, we do. Well, what do y'all usually do? Uh, we usually go hiking. We find a trail somewhere. Uh, we're also big disc golfers. It's not a frisbee. It's a disc. It's a totally different thing. And so, uh, <laughs> and so we throw a disc at a basket, and then we do it over and over and over again. It's good to be outdoors. It's good to you know be in the sunshine and get some exercise. I'm sure that's what you do when you go to the mountains, right? Uh, no, not really. No, I'm not much of a hiker. No, no, I'm I don't hike it. No. Oh, well, what do you do then? Oh well, you know I I'm real famous for like laying up on the porch. Okay. You know, All right. might go down the creek, do a little fishing, maybe get on four wheeler, ride a trail or something. Okay. But, right. You know, you know, but no hiking, no. No, not into the hiking. Okay. So. Well, I, I can't help but notice the shirt that you wore yeah. uh, today. Yeah. Uh, if you don't know, I'm a big, huge OU fan, and we lost Bedlam. I can't even yeah. believe it. Yeah, 27-24. And so, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to walk off this stage, Mike. <laughs> hey, frankly, it doesn't really matter. You know, they played the game as the last Bedlam game. It's true. You know, and it's cool that they played the game. And who's really keeping score 27-24? That's right. Yeah. You know, but... Nobody is. Yeah. You know, I... Of course, you know, I love this shirt. You know, for those that don't know me, you know, my kids both went to school at Oklahoma State and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, got the little cowboy on there and everything. I call this my stockholder shirt. And people say, how's that? And I say, well, I sent so much stinking money to Stillwater, Oklahoma. I have got to own stock in that place by now, you know. So that's why I call this my stockholder shirt. And, uh, right. you know, yeah. Yeah, but it, it, it's been good. So, but, you know, kind of on a different deal, um, aren't you a runner? Don't you like to run? I do like to run. Yeah, I feel like it clears my head. Uh, I'm not very fast, but I do enjoy doing it. So, again, exercise, getting out there and and just kind of pounding the pavement and uh, wearing my headband. But I'm sure you run too, right? Uh, No, not running. If you see me running, yeah. Usually, there's a cow chasing me. Okay, it's, so it's more uh, a life or death thing. Right? Yeah, it it okay. is. It, okay. It's a survival thing, right. is what it is. Fair if enough, you see enough. me running, and you know, but one other thing I wanted to mention, you know, I will tell you, you know, you're getting quite famous around town, Franklin. I mean, your music ability behind the keyboard right there, he's magical, isn't he? People, uh, he is phenomenal, and. uh you know, you mentioned Franklin Smith's name around town. and go, oh, yeah, he's good. He's good. They like that. But well, I just thought I'd throw that out at you, been, dude. Yeah, I've been singing for a long time. Thanks. Yeah, After yeah. the OSU thing, that, <laughs> lets, that stings less. So that's good. Uh, yeah, you know, I've been singing and playing piano for a really long time. And, and you know, I do have, I guess, people that uh, enjoy but what I do. But I'm sure people enjoy your musical ability. I've heard that you have one. Well, and you've been working on it. I am getting a following of my musical okay. ability. All right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've come to find that uh, most dogs in town are interested in what I have to offer. You know, uh, not not many humans. No, but, but, you know, at least I have a following of some sort. Right. You know, that, that's all right. But, you know, we we sit here and we visit back and forth. And I'm getting confused, Franklin. How are we even friends? Why do we even speak to each other? Yeah, we're, pretty, we're pretty different. We're pretty different, aren't we? Yeah. The things we do in the world are kind of opposite of each other. I mean, there's so many people that would be as different as me and you, 
are probably really enemies. Yeah, they could yeah. be for sure. How, how are we friends? Why do we even speak? Why do we even have anything to do with each other? Yeah. You know, when Mike came by this week uh, and, and and told me about this idea that he had, I, I got choked up. You know, we have Bacon Brothers, and in Bacon Brothers, a lot of bit different guys that come from all over the place, and uh, we don't have much in common to start with. But then we're praying for each other, and and we're we're in each other's lives, and 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 it's all because of Jesus. You know, Psalm one thirty three says how how good and pleasant it is when brothers live in, together in unity, and and Matthew five says that we're the light of the world. We're we're a city on a hill, um, and so I think the greatest proof. Uh, for Jesus Christ, our greatest witness as Christians is when we come together and we don't have a lot of middle ground to start with, but through Jesus we get stronger and stronger as our friendship grows. And, and so there, there's power in that because we are always stronger together, united under the blood of Jesus. So I guess, in other words, what you're saying is it doesn't matter what we do out in the world, right. is our personal things. Jesus trumps everything. Jesus trumps everything, man. And it's all because of him and his blood that we're, allowed, that we're able to come together as friends. Amen. Amen. And able to praise him. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, as we come to you this morning, we always praise you and thank you, Father. Father, we thank you for the ultimate sacrifice you made, the blood you shed on that cross, Father. But Father, even though we sit here and... And we're gracious for that, and it's by your grace that we're saved and by your blood that our sins are washed away. I know I'm very guilty of this, and I don't know how many more are, but I simply want to tell you, Father God, I love you. I thank you for that, and it's because of that love that I have for you that I'm able to be saved. Lord, I just thank you for uh, friends I never saw coming. Father, that um, you give us the space to foster these friendships, that we are truly in this together, Father, that we grow closer to one another, and it doesn't matter what we have in common because we have you. And for that, we're so grateful. Remind our hearts as we take communion, Lord, of the people that surround us, Father, and the love that you so lavishly shed, shower down on us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
Sooner or later, we all learn history will teach us nothing from the great philosopher Sting. Uh, he actually was quoting a guy named George F. Heigl that said, history teaches us that man learns nothing from history. Or Churchill came along and said something to the extent of those who fail to learn the lessons of history are doomed to repeat them. All of these are very popular adages and they have tons of truth, especially when we look at, you know, we look at history and the fall of the Roman Empire and it came from within. And then we look out at our country and we go, it's kind of looking a little similar. So it's, it's powerful to look at adages like this. And the premise is very simple. Let's don't make the same mistakes that people before us did. Let's be better. We're starting a new series today called Choose Your King. We're going to be in 1 Samuel. So if you're on the radio or you're online, thanks for joining us. Get your Bibles out in 1 Samuel. But 1 Samuel is a transition book in the Old Testament. We know it as 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles. Six books together. But in the Aramaic... There are only four books that are all of those squished together. There is the first book of the kingdoms, the second book of the kingdoms, the third book of the kingdoms, and you ready for this? The fourth book of the kingdoms. Okay, that's, what, that's how they are in the Aramaic. And they are history books. This one transitioned from the time of the judges. As the intro said, in the judges, it finishes up with this phrase let, that, that people did what was right in their own eyes. But under the leadership of the judges, they had godly men that led the people of Israel. They had trouble, they came to that guy, but really their king was Yahweh. But over time, God's people started flirting with other gods. Baals and Asherahs and other things that were going on in the culture. Oh sure, we really like God, but... We like these other things too. And then they start seeing these other countries that have kings. Hey, you know what? We need a king too. And what they, uh, and Samuel and Eli come to us and say, you don't need a king. But no, no, we want a king because all these other countries have a king. And, and what that'll give us is it'll give us political power. We'll be big warrior. We'll be the big boys on the block. Everybody will respect us. Everybody will do it our way. Give us a king. You see, they had a king, but they wouldn't understand and they wouldn't surrender to Yahweh as king. So what I want to look at for the next three or four weeks is the backstory to the kings, Saul and David, that lead to King Jesus, the the ultimate uh, authority. I want us to focus on Eli, on Samuel, on Saul. A lot of 1 Samuel deals with David. We spend a lot of time talking about King David. I want us to look at some of the, of the backstory there. They wanted a certain kind of a king, but they needed Yahweh to be king. Join me in 1 Samuel, starting in verse 1. There was a man named Elkanah who lived in Ramah in the region of Zuf, in the hill country of Ephraim. He was the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf of Ephraim. There will be a test on these afterwards, so just pay attention. Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah did not. Each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of Heaven's armies at the tabernacle. The priests of the Lord at that time were the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. On the days Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to Peninnah and each of her children. 
And though he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice portion. Some of yours might say one extra portion. Because the Lord had given her no children. So Peninnah would would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Year after year, it was the same. Peninnah would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. Each time, Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. Keep your Bibles open because we're going to keep looking at that passage and some of the things that are happening afterwards. In the days without a king, there was a moral anarchy. There was, you do whatever you want to do and I'll do whatever I want to do and everything goes. But you need to understand there was and there always will be a remnant of God followers. Until Jesus comes, there always has been and there always will be God followers. Now, they had a king, but they refused to recognize God as supreme king. Does that sound like any culture that you might know and be a part of? (laughs) I mean, we have in God, we trust on our money, but do we really trust God? You see what I'm saying? There are a lot of similarities to them and us. We look out here and we see a world going crazy But friends, there always has been and there always will be a remnant of God followers until Jesus comes. There will be and we need to hang on to that. But our culture, let's be honest, is very self-centered. There is a magazine literally called Self. I think it's the most appropriately named magazine. used to be a printed magazine. It's an online only. They, They claim to have up to 6 million readers a month. For self magazine. Now, if you're one of them, that's fine. I'm not bagging on you, anybody. It just, but it, I mean, listen to the title self. It's all about me. It's all about my weight. It's all about my clothes. It's all about how I look. Everything's about me. We have selfies. We take selfies everywhere, right? I, just for grins, I, I Googled how many selfies are taken. They estimate, Google estimates 92 million selfies are taken every day. That's a lot of selfies, 92 million. That's an estimate. But it just proves to me it is very hard to be a servant in a selfie-centered world, true? It's hard to have him as king when I'm often king. I'm reminded of this quote from Albert, uh, Albert Einstein. Try not to become a man of success, but rather a man of value. There was a man. That's how this passage starts out. And we're introduced to Elkanah. Everybody say Elkanah. Elkanah. We learn a little bit about him. He lived in Ramah. And some of your versions might say Ramathame or something like that. The experts believe that was the ancient town of Ramah, which is in the country of Ephraim. And he has two wives, Hannah and Peninnah. Now, You might be sitting here going, I don't care about the geography, Don. I don't know why any of this matters. We've talked about this before. If you see random, strange, odd details, you ought to stop and look because there there might be some backstory there. And maybe I'm reading too much into it, but seemingly insignificant details can often be very important. Elkanah lives in Ramah. It's the country of Ephraim. But in another passage in 1 Chronicles 6, we find out that Elkanah is really a Levite. Now, the Levites had a purpose, right? The Levites were the preachers. They took care of the law. And the Levites were to live in Levite cities. 
But he wasn't living in a Levite city. Maybe he wasn't where he needed to be. And, and he is a Levite, but he has two wives. Not just one, two. Now, there is a Jewish tradition. It's not in Scripture, but there is a Jewish tradition handed down that if you, don't, if you get married and you don't have a kid within the first 10 years, you can take another wife. And it's not considered illegal or awful. Polygamy was not ordained by God, even though we see it practiced in different places. But in this particular situation, there are a lot of the experts believe that Hannah was probably the first wife and she hadn't had any kids. And so somewhere down the line, he, he picks up this second wife and, and they start having kids and there's a lot of kids and we see there's conflict. Now, the subject of barrenness, when, when Hannah is dealing with this emptiness, is it fair for me to say it, it would be easy to lose sight of the king when you're dealing with pain? And that's something we all battle today. Friends, there's more going on here than just the pain of infertility. We're going to talk about that in a minute, but I need you to understand there is a lot going on behind the scenes. Like a tree torn between two worlds, between the soil and the sky, we are rooted in this world, but we're reaching for something else. Another great philosopher named Casey Kasem used to finish his shows by saying, keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the sky. And and see, that, that is a great little metaphor, but it's really hard to do. You know why? Because we can touch soil, but, but sky and heaven are hard to grasp, these abstract things. I can grasp physical, right? It's hard to look at heaven and the great beyond, and when I'm dealing with pain right here, you see what I'm saying? When I'm stuck in a difficult situation, because we can grasp our situation, but heaven, heaven escapes our grasp. We can't really sometimes grasp the why we're going through things. What if you're doing everything correct? You're going to church, you're loving God, you're tithing correctly, you're, you're treating your spouse, your family, your friends with respect. You're doing everything correctly, and yet it's still not working. You ever been there? I would be willing to bet that a lot of us have. See, now the culture they lived in said, if something's wrong with your body, it means there's something wrong with your spirit. You sin in some way, okay? Uh, If there is a physical flaw, then there is a spiritual flaw. We see that into the New Testament. Remember when there was a guy that came before Jesus and he was born blind and they said, who sinned, this guy or his parents? that he was caused this. It was in their mindset that if you have a flaw, then you must have done something spiritually wrong. Friends, barrenness is certainly a painful personal tragedy, then and now. And I want you to hear this. If you have walked that road, please understand you are not being punished. This was... And if there's any philosophy out there that tells you there's something wrong with you, don't listen to that. Because our God is here with you. But some of you have walked other long, difficult roads. Some of you have walked the road of divorce. Some of you walked the road of addiction. 
Some of you are continuing to walk the road of grief and it's hard and you don't understand why won't this go away? Why can't we get past this? There's a lot of us on long, lonely roads. And if you're one of those, if you have come in here and as the song said earlier, when the darkness seems to hang on, know that our God is hanging on to you. And if you don't get anything else out of this sermon or even this series, get this. God loves you. He has not given up on you, nor will he ever. Now, you might be sitting there, but well, then what's the purpose of this? Maybe God is preparing you for something down the line. Like Hannah could be sitting there saying, I can't have children. What if the, what if the answer to that is you can't have children today, but maybe somewhere down the line, God has a different purpose for it. Or maybe, maybe you're dealing with some of that and maybe God is leading you to talk about foster care or adoption. Now, this is not for everyone, but do you realize that you may not know this, but in this church family, just in this building, since 2014, there have been 15 adoptions per, attached to this church. 15. Now, is that 15,000 or 1,500? No, but it's 15. It's more than none. There are dozens, if not hundreds, of people that have been fostered here because people reached out and showed extra love. Maybe God is training you in a, in a slow season to open your home. Maybe you're on a long road of addiction. We, we strongly support AA here. We strongly support some of the other uh, groups. And, and what is really special to me is many that have dealt with addiction are the ones that are teaching others how to deal with addiction. You know what I'm saying? They're using their pain and they're using their hurt to help others get out of those holes. Maybe you're dealing with grief. And you can't understand why this has happened, but you can look around and it doesn't take five minutes to figure out other people are dealing with that too, right? And maybe God is, is allowing your struggle to be a, a springboard to help somebody else. Listen, just hear this and know this. You are loved and you are valued and we're in this together. Amen. Now, her husband comes along and drops in some husband theology. All right? Track with me in verse 8. You ready? Why are you crying, Hannah? Elkanah would ask, why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted just because you have no children? You have me. Isn't that better than 10 kids? Yeah, yeah. Aren't I worth more than 10 sons? I read a survey this week that said one in three men is just as dense as the other two. Um, you can take that and use it. That was free of charge. Um, but she, he drops this. Oh, look at how great. Now, just a little, uh, put a bug in your ear. In, in February every year, we do the EXO conference. It's our marriage enrichment conference. If you're dating, you're serious, or you, we want to strengthen marriages. We're not trying to call anybody out. We're not trying to separate anyone out. But I want to put a bug in your ear. It's a Friday night, Saturday thing. And we talk a lot about how to encourage. Here's a quick one that'll save you some time and money. You see, Elkanah, don't be him. See what he did here? Don't do that. Men, listen close. We need to listen more and advise less. Hear me? We need to listen. And that means put the phone down and look them in the eye 
Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I under- Don't try to fix everything. Just listen. Elkanah didn't do that. Now, I give him credit for trying. He's trying. So he gets a half a point, okay? But, and it, in fact, it says he gave her a double portion or an extra portion. There's some ex- experts that believe that came from his own portion. So I get it that he was trying, but maybe we need to hear from him is listen. More talk less. So Hannah takes her plight to the tabernacle. Look on down. Once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Now you might think, why am I making a big deal about this? She got up and went to pray. It says in verse nine, in the Aramaic, there's a word there that says kum, K-O-U-M. We pronounce it kum. It is only used in this place and one other place in the New Testament when Jesus is dealing with a teenage girl that died and he told her Talitha kum. And what it means is arise with power. It's the only two times this, that word is used in all of the scriptures. Arise with power. She didn't just say, well, I guess I could go to church. There's nothing else to do. No, she with intentionality, with purpose, went to the tabernacle. Friends, do we do that with our prayer life? Or is it a last ditch, Hail Mary, well, I got nothing else, so I'll try it. See, this woman is teaching us prayer is not a last ditch. It is a first priority. It is kingship authority with intentionality. I love this quote from D.R. Davis. God's tendency is to make our total inability his starting point. Get that. That's good right there. His tendency is to start where we end, right? <laughs> we need to figure out we can't fix this and, and give it to him. Do we do that? She unabashedly is honest with God. She lays it out there with all of her hurts. Have you ever wondered that maybe the only thing holding you back from a breakthrough is you? But here, hear me good. Listen close. I need you to hear this. Please note that I am not saying, are you praying hard enough? There are philosophies out there that will tell you, oh, but you just got to, you got to have more faith. You got to pray harder. That's why your marriage is on the rocks and that's why your finances are in. You got to pray. And that's not what I'm saying. I am saying, are you laying it out there for God? Because I'll be honest. Lots of times in our prayer life, we hold back. Let's be real honest. A a bride on the day of her wedding is going to pray way differently than the day she served divorce papers. We have different seasons. We need to be able to lay it out there honestly, surrender it to God and lay it on the table. Friends, prayer is not measured in length of prayer. It's in depth and intensity. Do we honestly lay it before God? She's teaching me something really powerful there. Now, Eli is a big character in this story. Eli is here, and he should have seen Hannah's needs. But if you read first, second, third, or the first three chapters of 1 Samuel, you're going to see that Eli wasn't taking care of business. 
In fact, the faith of the nation, the faith of Israel is in ruins. He is the high priest. The, do it, the guys doing the priestly duties are Hophni and Phinehas. If you read in the end of the second chapter, they're, it calls them scoundrels. They have no respect for the Lord in chapter 2 and verse 12. Chapter 3 and verse 1 says the word of the Lord was rare in that time. Meaning the, the inspirations of the Lord, the teachings of the Lord was very rare in that time. You know what, we can sum it up this way. Church wasn't taking care of church. Church people weren't doing church business. Sometimes church people will let you down. I got a hunch a vast majority of us in here have been hurt by church or church members. And I'm genuinely sorry for that. I mean that. I'm not sarcastic in any way. I am so sorry if it was me because I will let you down and other people will let you down. And we can sit there and play coulda, woulda, shoulda. Well, he should have done this. Or if you would have done this, or if you wouldn't have, I mean, if you weren't such a, we, we play that all day. Okay. But the church has let people down. Don't let others' failures keep you from his kingship. You see, I hear people say, well, you know, I'm not going to that church anymore. That jerk's over there. He's not doing that. I'm not. You're punishing God for somebody's stupidity. And you're not doing anything. And I've heard people say, well, you know, I love God, but I just, I can't go to church. That is unbiblical. In fact, it's anti-biblical. You will never find anything that even remotely supports that theology. We need each other. We need to be the body. You just sang it a few minutes ago. There is a Savior who knows my every need. doesn't say there is a church who knows my every need. There is a Savior, and we need to surrender to him. Eli should have seen her needs, and he doesn't. In fact, look with me. Uh, Eli sees her and thinks she's drunk. In verse 12, as she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her, seeing her lips moving, but hearing no sound. He thought she'd been drinking. Must you come here drunk? He demanded, throw away your wine. Oh, no, sir. She replied, I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger. I'm very discouraged. I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I'm a wicked woman, for I've been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. He says she's drunk. She humbly corrects him. Okay. I'm not pouring into me. I'm pouring out of me. Do you see what she, she's not filling herself up. She's trying to get rid of this. Let me ask you this. How easy is it for church people to slip into being judgy people? I love this from last week. Franklin shared this slide and I've been singing that Steve Camp song in my head all week long. Don't tell him Jesus loves him unless you're willing to love them. But Don, what if they live a different lifestyle? Don't care. Can we love them? That's our job. Are we to fix them? That was never our job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does. We love them. Love God, love others. It's real simple kingdom. It's, it's really, really basic. But sometimes the church gets all judgy. Well, if they would just stop living that way, well, I'm not giving them any money. I'm not helping them until they straighten. People, we got to stop that. We got to be the ones that cut that. We love people right where they are. I try to point them to Jesus. Now, in his defense, Eli does 
salvage some priestly sense and he blesses her at the end of that. He said, Oh, well, if that's the case, then may God grant you the wishes that you've requested almost blowing her off. May you go in peace. He says, my question is how, how do you go in peace when your life is in pieces? How, how do you, how do you go out of there When nothing is at peace, this is where she really taught me something. There is a sculpture in Reykjavik, Iceland called the Unknown Bureaucrat. That's what it is. Full disclosure, I'm not an art guy. I look at paintings and go, you know, I don't see the angst and the pain. I see colors. All right, cool, you know kind of a redneck. But sculpture, I'm still not very good, but this one uh, stung me this week. It is in Reykjavik, Iceland. Uh, Magnus Thomason built it in 1994 as a tribute to everyday workers. It is made of Icelandic volcanic basalt. It is near a popular duck pond. They estimate it weighs 12 tons. They don't have a tomb to the unknown soldier. They have this one that is a sculpture for the unknown regular guy, but it really struck me as different. If you look real close, he's got the legs, he's got the briefcase, he got looks like a suit jacket, but he's got this humongous weight. Have you ever felt like the weight of the world was on your shoulders? Because Hannah did. If we look in scripture in verse 10, it says she was in deep anguish. She was bitter weeping. In verse 16, she says, I'm very discouraged. I am great anguish and sorrow. This is a woman that is dealing with pain, but she teaches me something incredibly powerful. And I got lost in this. I was just reading through and reading through, but it's this next line. Hannah practices something I call replacement theology in verse 18. Look closely at verse 18. Says, oh, thank you, sir, she exclaimed. Then she went back and began to eat again, and she was no longer sad. She actually listened to what Eli said. An argument could be made that Eli was blowing her off, right? But she heard it as a blessing, and she listened to it. Question, was her problem fixed? Was she pregnant? Not, but we find out later she gets pregnant. Did the mockery from the other wife stop? I'd be willing to bet no, it probably didn't. Her situation didn't change, but her perspective did. And that's where I think she has a change of mind in what I call replacement theology. It comes from 1 Peter 5 and verse 17, where it says, cast your cares upon him for he cares for you. Cast is a very visceral word. It's not a... Eh, Toss it out there. It's throw it as far as I can get it. You see, the kingship that was in her, uh, that had authority was her anxiety, her worries, her frets. And she tossed it as far as she could see and let him have authority. Friends, that's where we need to learn. She threw off her anxiety and put him in the, uh, the throne of her heart. Now listen close. This is not, well, just put on a happy face and buck up. No, that's not what I'm saying. It's I am replacing what is controlling me. I'm placing, replacing what is eating me, what my anxiety, my fears, my, my, uh, my guilt, my past. And I'm replacing him and putting him on the king of my heart. 
Friends, we don't worship God for what he does for us or what he gives us. We worship him for who he is. And we put him in the first place. Hannah decided. She acted on that decision and it changed her, changed her face. It said her, her face was no longer downcast. She chose to make it better. Friends, when hope is what you want, hope is what you do. This is a picture of the Mayo Clinic in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, And it's a wonderful ministry there. There are two private streets on this campus, one called Hope Drive and one called Healing Drive. Hope Drive and Healing Drive. But Hope Drive is actually in the middle of a parking lot and it has two distinctive features, three if you want to add one to it. Hope Drive has zero parking places and it has zero off-ramps. And it is the only way to get to Healing Drive is to drive on Hope Drive. And they were very intentional about that because Hope Drive, to get to healing, you have to, you ready for this? Drive. You cannot park. It is not called Hope Rest Area. It is Hope Movement. If you want to get to healing in your life, you need to get to hope. You need to move in the direction of hope. Friends, hope isn't hope unless you're pursuing it. Just yearning for something. Oh, man, I wish my life would be better. You know what that is? That's Jiminy Cricket stuff. That's uh, when you wish upon a star. That is not hope. Making him Lord of your life isn't a feeling. It's It's an action. And making him king doesn't happen casually. You need to choose who will be king. History is going to teach us nothing unless we learn to not repeat that. Hannah teaches us that even though circumstances are bad, even though dirt around me is bad, the sky is beautiful. If you are lacking hope today, if you are overwhelmed with the darkness, let him be king of your heart. Father God, take control. May our hope be in you, not in our health, not in our money, not in better circumstances or our country getting fixed. Our hope is in you. May that be the king of our heart. Through Jesus we pray. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.